And a good Thursday morning to you, and welcome into Darren, Dodic, and Chase here on this Thursday morning, ESPN 1025, the game. We are live at Pete and Terry's Tavern. That's what it says right next to us. It's Pete Weber, Terry Crisp. There's a microphone in the middle, and this is a tavern. So you can come in here and you can drink, you can eat. It's a pretty cool place to hang out. If you're looking for a lunch spot today, a burger and a beer, $12.50. See what we did there? Pretty cool. And a lot of you have been showing up. So if you're looking for a lunch spot, if you're downtown, this is your place. You know what this also means, why we're here. A Predators home game. Tonight they close out the three-game homestand tonight against the Minnesota Wild, the same team that they opened up the regular season with. And then they'll hit the road, just a one-game road trip Saturday night down in Tampa to take on the Lightning before returning back home next week to close out the month. Darren McFarlane, that's me, Chase McCabe. Hello. That's him. Max Hers is back at our studios, our Wholesale Inc. studio, powered by RumbleOn.com. Dave is our on-site engineer. Willie D. will join us in a bit. He's got some production meetings. We have production meetings before the show. He has production meetings during the show. What kind of job is that? Our production meetings are very in-depth, too. They are. I think down there they're playing like cornhole or something. Probably. I mean, we should do that. Look, Crispy's involved, so you you never know. You know, we should live video them, just walk in and just see if they're actually preparing. Actually working? Yeah, if they're just sitting around telling stories and playing cornhole. We should. We should investigate that. (laughs) We'll live, live stream it on Twitter. Oh, you never know, right? You never know. How did last night go? Drake's in Cool Springs. Yeah, it was fun. Smashville Live, yourself and Skillsy were the radio hosts. Yeah. And your special guests were Dante Fabro and Rocco Grimaldi. Yeah, it was fun. Good crowd. Um, my first time doing that show. So, admittedly, I was a little nervous going in because I didn't really know what to expect being in that role. But uh, it's easy when you have... Hal Gill, for one, and yeah. then Dante Fabro and, and Rocco Grimaldi were awesome. So it flew by. I told Hal after the show, I was like, man, that was a fast hour. So we, we hit a lot, and uh, I think the players enjoyed it. Rocco's got his whole family in town right now. Yeah, his, they his were dad, there Tuesday know. night, so uh, got to see him yeah. in action. Yeah, so they, they – Southern California folks. Yeah. Saw him beat up on the Ducks. Yeah, so they were uh, – it's funny. They dropped him off. Were you just going Canadian? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you just going Canadian? I, I've noticed that's been you're, happening You're lately. a Nashvillian, Chase. I know. You I grew up here, and you're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they you do. You do one Smashville live show, and now you think you're Canadian. No, it just Jeez. happens. Sorry. And you do, I mean, come on. <laughs> By the way, Rocco had a goal. He had the first goal. He did. Or not the first goal, excuse me, the goal right out of the gates. In the second period to extend the lead, so he did. And they were off and running. And then um, they got a little shorty a little bit later. I had to ask the uh, the hard hitting question, and that yeah, was, what was that? That was what was the name of the stick? And yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, and For sure. uh, and to show you just like how good of a journalist I am, he told me, and I've already forgotten what the name was. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but he did confirm. That the stick had a name. and I wonder was, if he enjoys that because he opened up that can, right? I mean, yeah. that last year. I wonder if he still enjoys that or if he now, like, cringes when everybody wants to know the name of the stick. Well, he so we, we talked about it, and he said, you know, I try not to name them after anyone that I know. And then he told the, the one about Frankie that he right. it was 
he didn't even think about it. It just happened. And then the date, and you know, we all know the story with that. But the stick before the one that he used the other night, he named Jimmy after his wife's late grandfather that just passed away a few weeks ago, and he's going to give that stick to her grandmother. So he told us about that, which is really cool. So uh, I asked Dante, I'm like, so are you naming your sticks now? I mean, you're new to the league. And he kind of laughed, and he goes, I think that's going to be Rock's thing. He called him Rock. That's going to be Rock's thing. But uh, So it was good. And it was cool to get to know Dante Fabro because – you know, as I told him, I'm like, I, I feel like you've been here two years, but you haven't. So getting to know you and, and everything, and he kind of opened up about his journey and uh, had some cool stuff about why he chose, you know, he's Canadian, so why he chose college hockey over the juniors yeah. uh, route like a lot of guys do. And he even said that he's talked to some of his teammates that went to juniors, and they said if they could do it all over again, they'd probably go to college. So, really? Uh, I, thought that was, I thought that was interesting. Did he say why? No, he just he just said that. Uh, it was more of the experience part of just of college life. And, you know, juniors, I mean, you're essentially a pro. That's what Hal was explaining that. And Hal, of course, being American, went the college route. But he said that a lot of those guys, it's just that your pro life begins. Because, well, that's right, because that's up in Canada. I mean, they, yeah. just, they do eat, breathe, hockey, hockey, hockey. And it's just it's always just about the next – whatever is the next step to get you closer to, you know, the end-all, be-all, which is obviously – where we sit today in the National Hockey League. And so a lot of times they just think, well, the quickest step is to obviously just keep, you know, playing professional hockey. Yeah. And whatever, wherever that may be, whatever crazy city you've never heard of and whatever crazy bus ride you may be on, um, that's the quickest path. But sometimes you, you forget about how cool it is, especially the hockey schools, right? Yeah. I mean, but Dante Fabro, I mean, those guys, they love – I mean, we've talked to enough of those guys, right, Craig Smith – Wisconsin, I mean, all these guys, Ryan Suter, you know, yep. even back in the day. I mean, they just even if they didn't go there very long, they they'll never forget that college experience. He said that his parents were very much involved in the process, and that he, in some ways, didn't really have a choice. But that his his parents wanted him to have the college experience. They wanted him to get a degree. He's still working on his degree, even though he's he finished early to come play in the NHL. He's he's been going back and working on that process of finishing out his degree, which I think is really cool. So, um, the college college experience. I mean, you never know what's going to happen in life. So I think that's that's pretty cool for Dante Fabro. So it was nice. It was cool to get to know both of those guys. And um, you know, we all know Rocco's story from from being here last year. But definitely a fun night. I did it last year, and it was with Ryan Johansson and Roman Yossi. Oh well, that how about that night? That's that's hard. Uh, there was there was not a seat available at that yeah. show last year. We had a lot of fun, and you're right; it does go fast. In fact, uh, I think uh, I was scheduled, but a little tidal wave practice. So, thank you for yeah. stepping in and um, holding down the fort. And you got uh, a really cool show to do. Yeah, it was fun because at the time, I mean, this is kind of you know the guest thing, kind of pull the curtain back. It kind of happened. I mean, that that couldn't have turned out any better. Yeah, I mean, two, as you said two really good dudes and uh two guys um especially in dante fabro's case at the but you could still say rocco kind of at the you know early stages of the career rocco's been having to battle the journey right yeah. and now to have this payoff where he is today <laughs> it's really cool but two fantastic guys and i'm glad people went out and had some fun it was fun too uh we talked about road the going on the road that they just had their first road trip and yeah 
what that's like. And, and I looked at Dante and I and I said, well, you're new to this, so you I know you did it during the playoffs last year, but you know now that you're you're here full time, you know what was what's the road life like for you? And he just smiled and laughed. And he goes, it's fun. Yeah, <laughs> twenty one years old. Yeah. Hey, come on. Yeah, <laughs> if it, you can't have fun that, on the road, <laughs> that better be your answer. Uh, you know, especially yeah. at his age. Just starting off his pro career. Uh, Last night, how about this? The Nationals open up a can in the seventh inning, and right now they have a 2-0 commanding lead in the World Series. Honk your horn and raise your hand if you thought that was going to be the case. Uh, Not me. Crickets. Yep, nobody's got their hand up and nobody's honking their horn. They unloaded. How about that? Go into Houston and take both games. So they, uh, there's only it's only been done I think four other times where somebody has lost their first two home games. Last time was the Yankees against sorry your Braves. Yeah, and they came back to win the World Series. So it doesn't happen very often. So now that's the challenge for the Astros. But hey, you do not. It does not look good for them. The Nationals just beat Cole and Verlander in Houston. That's not good. But you never know. It's baseball like hockey. It's it's a crazy sport in the playoffs, and it's very, very hard to predict. So we'll see how it plays out. The Phillies have found their man. Real quick, before you get to that, I want to show you, show you something or tell something funny about Houston. Uh, last night, my friend just Googled Craigslist because she was going to just see what tickets looked like for the World in Series. In Washington? Yeah, in Washington. Yeah. Not- and, and when you Google Craigslist – it pops up Craigslist Houston because <laughs> people were selling their, starting to sell their tickets. Oh, wow. They had bought tickets to Washington. So I, I thought that was pretty funny wow. that, that it's already I bet starting. they're going for a pretty penny. Yeah, I may have a dilemma that I need to talk out with you guys later because I may have an opportunity to go Saturday that has been presented to me, which would be a long drive to go see two teams that I'm not a fan of, but it's the World Series. So I feel like hmm. – I feel like I might have to. Okay. Uh, the Phillies have found their next skipper, huh? and it'll be Joe Girardi. He's back. He is back. That's probably a good hire for that's, them. I think that's a really good hire for them. I, I always – I mean, he won a World Series. I know it's been 10 years now since he won the World Series with the Yankees, but, I mean, he got that team to the playoffs, and they fired him anyway. I think he's a pretty good manager um, and definitely had a lot left, and there's obviously a lot of talent with – the Phillies that he's going to be able to de- develop now, you know, if he can handle guys like a rod, which, you know, bring a lot of star power, I think he can handle somebody like Bryce Harper. So we will see, but being a fan of the Braves and the NL East, that's a tough guy to go up against. If you are in front of your computer, uh, put your fingers on the keyboard and hit Google, go to Google because I'm going to need you to Google him because you're going to go who uh, the Padres have also hired their skipper, Jace Tingler. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure everybody had that one, right? Uh huh. Yeah. So that's who uh, the Padres have hired. He is the yeah. major league player yeah. development field coordinator for the Texas sure. Rangers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Down in the Dominican Winter League. Yeah. Sure. He played college baseball at Missouri. Yeah. Uh huh. There's a lo- there was several people out there that was oh yeah I remember Jace Missouri yeah, Tigers Jace yeah. Mizzou. Tingler? Sure. Yeah. So congrats to the Padres, I think. They had interviewed Mark Loretta and Ron Washington. A lot of people thought it was going to be Ron Washington who took the Rangers to back-to-back World Series, 
But instead, it was Jace Tingler. I mean, who knows? You know, maybe that'll end up being yeah, a I, great hire. I thought, I mean, when I was reading yesterday, Ron Washington, who's, of course, third base coach for the Braves, longtime Ranger skipper, was a finalist for that job. So, interesting hire. And wide receiver Josh Gordon for the Patriots has landed on injured reserve. His season is over. Nope. Probably, hence why the Patriots went out and traded for Sanu. They knew. We'll come back. Adam Vingan from The Athletic. He writes, but he's going to talk on the other side of Darren Donick and Chase. ESPN 1025, the game. Back here on Darren Donick and Chase here at Pete and Terry's Tavern. Tonight's Predators in Minnesota Wild, 7 o'clock. Puck drop. I'll have pregame for you at 6 and everything heard right here. On ESPN 1025, the game. He's a writer. He's Adam Vingan with The Athletic. But today, he's going to talk with us here on the show with his hoodie. Adam, how you doing? You act like I, you act like I don't talk to you regularly. No, that's not true. I'm just saying you're a writer, but now you're going to talk. Yes. I am multifaceted. It would be weird if you, were, we, you had to write it down and then we just read your answers. That would be weird. Yeah, and it wouldn't <laughs> get much done. I am a fast typer, though. But oh, really? We, yeah. How, how good are you? Well... I remember taking keyboard class in elementary school. Yeah, me too. Where and they, I got my hands yeah, slapped. Where they constantly. try to teach you how to yes. do it with all four fingers. Yeah, I used yeah, to cheat when the too. when me the uh, when the teacher looked the other way, I would yep. lift up the piece of paper and type. So I call it. I I don't know how you would describe my typing style. It's it's not quite hunting and pecking where where you you know where you use yeah. one finger. I only I actually only use my pointer fingers to type. But I'm very fast, okay, and don't have to look when I'm doing it. I can use four fingers. No, I can't. It just do like because we did the typing class too, and then one day it just clicked and started working, and I clicked keyboard. I yeah, get it. Uh-huh. There you go. So if you just use your index finger, then I guess you are a hunter and a pecker. I guess so. <laughs> I've been called worse things, so that's good. That's good for me. So you the recently, fact that you even like touched my arm like hey, hey, it's funny no like, you're you're authentic uh, yeah. you're authentically yeah, yeah. Sure. American that's why I was touching such you. a dad joke with a cheap plug authentically American talking about your clothes all right continue you're the one who got us off course and that's on you don't <laughs> look know. at me I know okay rain it in guys rain it you in. have said that you believe Kyle Turris because he is his average ice time is. You have to go back to, what, 2010, 2011? Yep, that's his second full NHL season. Right. For him to have this low number of average ice time that you've kind of lobbied for him recently because of his good start in early play, for him to maybe get more ice time. Yes, and it took him receiving more than 18 minutes of ice time the other night, um, on Saturday night, rather, um, to bump that total up to you know, 13-plus minutes. Before Saturday's game, when he moved up and centered Matthew Shane and Mikhail Granlund, he was averaging under 13 minutes of ice time per game. And based on ice time alone, he is he was clearly the Predators' fourth-line center through six games, six or seven games, whatever it was, uh, before Philip Forsberg exited the lineup. Um, yeah, I, I think that he has had a really strong start to the season. I mean, he's exceeding my expectations just based off what we saw last year, plus the ice time he had been receiving. You know, I think he now has seven points in nine games, I believe it is, because he had an assist the other night. Um, 
you know, he is centering that quote unquote. He's he is center. I was going to say second line, but I'm not sure if you can even call it that. It might be the first line, but he's centering a line with Granlund and Duchesne, with Duchesne on right wing, which he has experience doing. While Forsberg is out of the lineup, but when Philip comes back, I imagine the Predators will want to put them back together: Forsberg, Duchesne, and Granlund. So that means that if Kyle Turris isn't playing on Ryan Johansson's line on that left wing, he's going back into the bottom six and. I think he deserves better than that, quite frankly, just based on the way he's been playing. Or will they? Yeah, that, that's what that's, I, where, that's I'm where I'm going with this. So, Philip Forsberg is going to be back sooner rather than later. In fact, he was already spotted out on the ice earlier this morning. Could there be a chance that Philip Forsberg goes back to his familiar foes back there with Johansson and Arvidsson, and they just keep that line that has looked very good? And I know it looked very good with Philip Forsberg as well. Yeah. But maybe they just keep Duchesne, Granlin, and Turris intact, and they put Forsberg back up there with Johansson and Arvidsson. I mean, that's that's a good point. And, and Johansson and Arvidsson together, I mean, they had, you know, Arvidsson had two goals the other night. He ended up getting credit for that last goal that was originally awarded to Callie Yarncroke. Um, but he, that those two, Johansson and Arvidsson, statistically, you know, based on their underlying numbers, have not been as strong as they are accustomed to being so far this season. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're not playing with Forsberg. So it is a possibility that the quote-unquote Trofa line is reunited at some point. The only thing that gives me pause about that is, while Matthew Shane does have experience playing right wing, they signed him to be a, a center. So... You know, do you know? Is this just a temporary thing, just to make Kyle comfortable in that role? You know, someone who hasn't played wing, you know, he tried it during the preseason, but has been center throughout the regular season. You know, is it? Do they want to have Duchesne as a winger long term? I think that's. I don't think they do, which is why I think they might go back to what it was before when Philip comes back. But do you honestly think that? I mean, no, look, this is. I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way because. We've talked enough about Callie Arncroke over the years. He's a smart hockey player. They trust him. He's always in the right place. <clears throat> we get it. But do they really want to go with Callie Arncroke at, on the top line all year? I, 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 would, I mean, personally, I don't think that's the long-term solution. That's you... why I think, you know, to me it makes more sense that – and I hear what you're saying. You're right. I mean, they didn't bring in Duchesne to be a winger. But also to make that happen, then you're talking about – Callie being on the top line for an extended period of time or the whole season, and right. I, I'm not sure that's the case either. Yeah, because the, their options with their current roster are limited. Um, they, you know, they tried Craig Smith up there playing his offhand side for the first time in his career. I think he was up there for three games. He didn't have the desired effect. They put Callie up there. He's been up there ever since. I mean, there really other there really aren't too many options. Um, you know, Forsberg would obviously make a lot of sense up there, as that's where he's been playing for the last several years. But I just I just keep going back to the 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 composition of that tourist line and whether or not the Predators want Matt Duchesne to be playing wing. Um, I think that's the one thing that would give them pause about doing that is having Duchesne as a wing for a long period of time. What do you make of UC Saros, his start in his three starts this year? Is it a little bit about his play? Mm -hmm. Is it a little bit about the play in front of him? Mm -hmm. 
or the breakdowns in front of him at yeah. times, or is it a little bit of both? I like, think it's what, a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both because the defense in front of him has not been great, and I would have to look at the numbers, but for as many goals as this team has scored, they haven't really given him much run support, quote-unquote. Um, he... It's you been know, a while, though, since we've seen him with an 8.53 save percentage. Yeah, it's, it's, when I looked at it a little bit the other day, I mean, this, this is sort of his M.O., um, where he, he has rough starts at the, rough stretches at the starts of seasons, mm-hmm. and then he, he kind of writes the ship, so to speak. So, you know, last year, for example, he got off to a hard start, hot start. I think he won three years. He won his first four starts. won his first four starts. And I think seven of his first nine. And then there was like a 10 or 11 game stretch right after that yes. where he had like an 860-something save percentage or something along those lines, and then he followed that up with a good four or five game stretch where he had like a 975 save percentage. So this is just, you know, the growing pains of UC Soros. I don't think the defense in front of him has done him any favors. You know, looking at some of the, you know, the advanced metrics, he has had a, he's made a lot of the, the really tough saves, but has struggled to make some of the quote unquote easier saves this season for whatever that's worth. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get an opportunity tonight. We'll see shortly when they go on the ice for morning skate. Um, you know, I think they just kind of need to keep feeding him in there. I mean, th- like this is this year. I think is very important for the development of UC Saros. I know that Pecorino has played well, and he has this year and next year left on this contract. But as you get closer to that transition, I think they need to put Saros in spots that they don't typically do because they need to give him more playing time. So even if he's struggling, I think it's important to throw him back out there every you know regularly to make sure that he's getting the reps. Um, I sound like I'm talking about a quarterback I, here. I agree with that. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 I think that that's important. So you know, I imagine that he'll start one of these next two games. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start tonight at home with Pekka starting on the road on Saturday against Tampa Bay um, or vice versa. Um, but it's tough right now because I hear what you're saying, but Pekka's playing really well. Right. Pekka's right. doing – Peck is just the opposite. I mean, he sees, he looks like he's seeing everything, and he looks very comfortable, and is off to a really, really good start. And he was, he's been great in his past two starts in Vegas, and then the other night here against the Ducks. I mean, that game was six-one, but if it weren't for Pekka, it would have been a lot oh, closer. Oh man, you're talking about a breakaway by Kasha in the first period. Penalty you're talking shot. about a penalty shot. Yeah. You're talking about other opportunities that, no doubt. Could have been a totally different game, right? So I think what you're seeing from, you know, what you're seeing from UC Soros, you know, I know it's concerning to a lot of people, um, but I think it's still early. This is not unlike him to have these, you know, rough rough patches, and you know, in a couple of weeks he might have three or four consecutive starts in a row, at least for him, not over the course of a season, three or four starts in a row where he's very very good, and then we're not really thinking about this anymore, but. As Chase and I were saying, I think it's important to keep throwing him out there, even though Pekka is playing well. I think we're getting to a point in the in the you know where Pekka is almost. He's about to turn thirty-seven in a couple weeks, where you really need to start putting Soros in situations that are typically reserved for Pekka, so that he can continue to get that playing time. If he didn't have a contract, or if he was at the end of his contract, we would be on Pekka contract watch. Yes, for his birthday. Yes, up, we but, would, but we don't need to do that. Not this time. Uh, <laughs> Two of the the worst three teams in the league on the penalty kill are Nashville and Tampa, which is ironically who will play on Saturday. Tampa's 29th in the league. The Predators are 30th. 
penalty kill. The other, the worst team in the league in the penalty kill is actually in their division in Winnipeg. Winnipeg. And, and by the way, it's not even close. They're at 63% Winnipeg. That is That's not, good. not good. So brought this up with David Poyle on Tuesday when he was sitting right where you are on Tuesday, and he was talking to us too, just like you are. And he talked about the penalty kill. And he said, you know, he was basically a little bit frustrated because last year was all about the power play. And he's like, you know, basically he was using the, the leak reference, right? You plug up one hole and one leak and then another one starts. And it's like the power play hole has been plugged up. And the only thing we're talking about that is how much better it looks and how, you know, effective it's been this season. And then you've got this new leak over here, which is the penalty kill, which has been rare for us to talk about in this market. I mean, going back to the beginning, I mean, it's there's been very few times when we've really had to talk about a, a poor penalty kill unit. Last year they were sixth in the league. The year before that they were sixth in the league. And here they sit 30th in the league. What do you what do you make? It's not like it's a different personnel. When I look at when before the game the other night I was looking at the numbers and one thing that really caught my eye was that the Predators had the worst save percentage in the league when shorthanded. And the old saying in hockey is that your goaltender has to be your best penalty killer. And I believe at the time, before the game the other night, their their save percentage shorthanded was like 70-something, like 70-point-something. 70 it was very low. So you don't expect Pecorina and UC Saros to be that bad for long. And that, improve, you know, regressing to the mean, I guess you could say, should improve the penalty kill alone, you know, on its own. They've given up nine power play goals, which is tied for the most in the league. I, I look at I look at the amount of shot attempts they're giving up on the power play. I mean, excuse me, when on the penalty kill, and, and they're basically in line with what they were last year when they were sixth in the league. I, I do think the the poor goaltending on the penalty kill has a lot to do with it, just because Pekka and UC haven't been making the saves they need to. But you look at some of the breakdowns. You know, I think about the goal that Jacob Chikrin scored against the uh, when they played the Coyotes last week. Uh, you know, there was a cross slot pass from right to left. You know, Saros bit on on the shot, and everybody else did too. And Chikrin had just a wide open net to pump the puck into from the left circle. You know, I think about the goal that Mark Stone scored to get, for the Vegas Golden Knights last week, where it looked like the coverage was just just loose enough in the slot that Stone was able to slip in there and score on the power play. I just feel like there have been these small breakdowns on the penalty kill that can be easily patched up I think so I know a lot of people think of what happened on the power play last year and how it never was corrected and thinking that the same thing is going to happen to the penalty kill you know I don't think it's going to be the case I think they'll I think they'll improve just even based on the goaltending alone as long as Pekka and Yusi can start making the saves the save percentage goes up so does the, the penalty kill percentage he's Adam Vingan he's with the athletic he will stay through the break and he will come back with more hockey talk that you're going to here, don't go anywhere. But right now I'm going to talk to all the men out there. I've been telling you for years about my friends over at Cool Springs MD. And they have started, uh, they know a lot of you have started to seek help for hormone deficiencies and imbalances. And Dr. Jeffrey Lodge, who is the board certified physician over there, is front and center on that quest of helping you as we all get older. His wife, Daphne Lodge, the registered nurse, and their experienced staff want to give you men out there the treatments that are required to improve your quality of life. And I hope you want that like I do. And their services have already helped a lot of you here in the Middle Tennessee area and surrounding areas with improving your immune systems, your energy levels, your cognitive function, and so much more. They're there to connect you with the medical care you require to have a healthy and enriched life. There's no better time to achieve that healthy lifestyle than right now 
What are you waiting for? Pick up the phone and dial this number like I have and make that appointment, 615-283-7291. That's 283-7291. Or you can always visit their website, coolspringsmd.com. I think of two things when I hear this music. I think of either CSI. Yeah. There was a CSI Miami usually? No, this was... Was it CSI Miami? This was CSI New York, I think, that used this one. Really? I yeah, they all, they all used Who songs, but... Okay. And I think of the UFC. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? It Getting too. ready for the pay-per-view. That's what I always think of when I hear these two songs. Back here on Darren, Donick, and Chase, live at Pete and Terry's Tavern. Tonight, it's the Predators and the Wild. Darren McFarlane, Chase McCabe, Adam Vingan from The Athletic alongside. He has got his, held, his head held up high, if I can say that out <laughs> loud, because he came from the D.C. area. And he's been here for five-plus years, or almost five years, close to it. Two years ago, the team that he covered, the Capitals, won the Stanley Cup. And so he knows all the stigma because he was covering that team of them not being able to – they had a lot of playoff woes. And he also remembers the stigma that's been there with the Nationals. They have not been able to knock down any doors in the playoff either. And here they sit with a 2-0 lead. They are two games – two wins, not two games – two wins away from winning – the World Series, and that would be a World Series title and the Stanley Cup title. What in three years? And don't for, don't forget a WNBA title. Well, I the did. Washington I Mystics. I did. I forgot. Recent that. WNBA champions. Yeah. Title Town USA. Did they have a parade? I don't know if they've had one yet, but they're planning to. I think. Okay. I feel like if uh, if the Nats do close this out, that fans of the Expos in Montreal should should join in on the celebration just because ninety four. You know they. They probably were going to win it in 94, and they kind of got robbed. Um, I don't know. They, they, the season was, what, stopped in August? Yeah, but they, so were, was a they had of, a pretty significant lead. Yeah, but as we've, like, that's, I think, to me, personally, the beauty of baseball and hockey is their playoffs are so hard to predict because it truly is, as we've seen, it's truly about getting hot at the right time. Yeah. It is, and... It's not like it never happens in basketball or football, but it doesn't happen anywhere near. The upset level is anywhere, nowhere near hockey and baseball. I mean, the, the Nationals are a prime example. If they win, if they win uh, game three, no one's ever done what they've done. Yeah. Nine straight postseason games. They've won eight straight, which is tied for the record. No one's ever done if they win another one or if they win game three. And I'm not the biggest baseball fan, so if the Nationals win the World Series, I'm not going to claim it as a chance. <laughs> I'm not going to claim it. But I, I will be very happy for a lot of people that I know back in Washington who are big baseball fans. And, and uh, you know, the Nationals were very similar to the Capitals, you know, teams that were expected to perform uh, and had high expectations and failed to do so. Um, you know, I recall the game. Man, what year was it? The year that they were up six was it six nothing on the Cardinals in the game, and they blew it, and they lost in the in the NLDS. Yeah. I remember falling asleep when that game was five or six nothing, and waking up. I think the game was on TBS, and waking up in the middle of the night, and you know the game was over, and some old movie was on. You know, because the game had long been over, and I hadn't turned off the TV, so some sort of old movie was on and I was like huh I wonder what the score is and for some reason in the pit of my stomach just knowing Washington sports as I did I was like I have a feeling they might have blown this and I checked my phone and it was like you know the final score was what 6-5 or 7-6 yeah. or whatever it was you know it was one of the biggest it was like the biggest comeback 
in like a winner take all game in MLB history or something like that. So you know if they're able to pull this off, that would be great for them. Um, you know the fact that they went into Houston, beat Garrett Cole, beat Justin Verlander. Um, you know things are looking good. Things are set up well for them heading back to Washington. He is Adam Vingan of the Athletic. He covers the Predators for them. So if I had told you, Adam, that on October twenty fourth. Through nine games, Ryan Ellis would be the team leader in points. What would your response to me be? I probably, I might have chuckled, not out of disrespect to Ryan. I just think that there would have been other people on the team who I would have suspected to be leading the team in scoring in terms of points. But you know, Ryan Ellis has looked really, really good this season. He's he looked like the old Ryan Ellis. Yeah, has nine assists in his past five games. He had four consecutive two-assist games and then had one assist the other night. And... I was very interested to hear what David Poyle said on your show a couple of days ago because that because he used uh, a phrase that I had used in describing Ryan Ellis throughout the summer that something seemed off about Ryan last year. He played every game, he had a career high in points, but just something didn't seem right about yeah. Ryan last year. You know, the, the play that I think defines Ryan Ellis's season is the play in game 5 against the Dallas Stars where he and Jamie Benn tracked down the puck behind the goal, and Jamie Benn just swats him away with ease, leading to a goal. I think if you were to ask people what their defining moment of Ryan Ellis was last season, that's what they would remember. Um, but, you know, I, I look at, you know, when you looked at his numbers last year, and you, like, the, Ryan Ellis, I feel like, was the perfect example of, you know, the eye test versus the metrics. Because his metrics last su- the season were good, but the eye test was, like, as we said, something seemed off about him. This year, they're working in concert. The numbers are good, and he looks good. And I know that there was some concern about his play leading into this season because it was the first year of his eight-year contract. Right. But so far, I, I think he's looked astounding. Um, I, I really think it's it's great for them. It's great for him. Um, and uh, we'll see, see if he can continue to rack up the points. The game the other night, 6-1, was the final, but I would say that the, the score wasn't exactly indicative of how that game went because i thought anaheim at times could have turned things around and, and played well but i also felt like the predators played their most complete game of the season i felt like we saw some improvements defensively for the most part what did you think i did i think so i think peter laviolette said after the game that you know in talking about Pekka's performance that you know they don't want to make it a habit of him having to make six or seven grade eight yeah. saves every game he, he was up to the task the other night, but um, I, I think it's getting better. Um, I still think uh, they are allowing um, a lot of high-quality chances. It, it, I think if you were to ask Peter, the, the counterattack defense is what is lacking in his mind um, when things head the other way in an instant. I, I think that that's where they're getting caught sometimes. Um, so I think it's getting better. Um, the offense obviously is great, um, but that's going to regress because they're not going to keep shooting as well as they have been. You know, right. what they have, what, 38 goals in nine games? You know, that's not going to that's not gonna continue to stay that way. So, you know, they're going to need to, you know, it's great to win games 6-1 and 5-2, but they need to win the games that are 2-1 and 2-0 and 3-2. Um, because, you know, going back to the Capitals, for example, you know, part of the problem early on in the Alex Ovechkin era was they were winning games 6-5 and 7-6 and 5-3. But th- those are not the kind of games you win in the most important moments in the playoffs. Not that this team is inexperienced winning games in the playoffs. They obviously 
have done that many times. But I feel like you know you need to be able to be balanced on offense and defense in order to win important games. So it's great that they're scoring a lot of goals. It's really yeah. exciting. We're having a lot of fun watching them play, right? But you need to you need to short things up defensively as well to make sure that they're on the right track. It's well documented because we've talked about it with you before that the third pairing still continues to be a concern. You know, I mean, we saw it the other night, Yannick Weber, the penalty shot. I mean, that, that was that was obviously a lapse. Do you think this team can afford to wait to address that, whether it be at the trade deadline or, or before that, or do they need to start looking at that? Now yeah, that's a good question because I think it was Dan Hamhus who basically gifted the puck to Ryan Getzloff on yeah. Tuesday night as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it hasn't been good. And I asked Peter Laviolette last week when the team was on the road if those mistakes, those issues that the third pairing is having, are magnified because of the amount of ice time they're getting. They're not playing twenty five. 26 minutes a night like the other defensemen are they're playing 12 or 13 so we don't see them as much on the ice so when they are on the ice and they make a mistake are we making a bigger deal out of it because of the smaller window of playing time and Peter didn't necessarily agree with that he he recalled the goal that the Red Wings scored in the second game of the season where the puck exited the zone Dan Hanhuis went back to get it along the boards he bobbled the puck and it led to a Red Wings goal I think it was their first goal of the game that night and he said that was a mistake that happened all the way in the offensive zone. You know, we, we need to be better there so that we didn't put Dan in the position to, for, what to hap, you know, for what happened. So, you know, it hasn't been good. Um, and if it continues to struggle, you know, there aren't a lot of great options in Milwaukee right now. I mean, Steven Santini isn't going to make it better. Jared Tenorti's not going to make it better. Alex Carrier or Jeremy Davies, they're not going to make it better. You know, so I think they're willing to ride it out right now with who they have. But yes, you know, if it continues to be a struggle, you know, I think David Poyle should seriously consider looking into finding someone on the cheap that can that can plug in that hole. Carrier is interesting though because he's a name that we've been hearing for for several years. Right. Well, I mean, so what is he at this point? I mean, right. Is he, a, is he a minor league guy or does he need more development. That's what I want. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I remember seeing during rookie camp, I think he's only like 22 or 23, and I was amazed by that. Like, he just seems like he yeah. should be older than that just because of how long he's been in the system. I mean, it's been almost three years since he made his NHL debut. He played a couple of games during a Western Canada road trip, and he hasn't right. been back since. I mean, he was the captain of the Predators rookie tournament team, so they have a lot of respect for him. But you're getting to the, you know... You're getting to the point where it's sort of like make or break for him. He like, just turned 23 this month, so wow. which is hard to believe. I thought he was like 25 or 26 before I looked it up. I remember. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't think he has you know a high NHL ceiling. Maybe he's the kind of guy that gets called up for a couple games here and there and plays. But you know, it's the same thing with Jared Tenorti. Jared Tenorti, f- former first round draft pick, stuck around camp until the very end. Hasn't played an NHL game in three years. You know. He, he is what he is at this point. He's older than Carrier, but you know Jared Tenorti is not an NHL is not a, a steady NHL player at this point. Like he's you know plugging him in is not going to make a difference. So you know the the defensive depth is not as deep as it once was. You know a lot of the players have either graduated or honestly have they been traded, whether it be Seth Jones or Sam Gerrard or whatever. So I think you know that that is a that is a problem area for the predators that they need to address at some point in the future. I think Jeremy Davies is the guy that they would like yeah for him to step up at some point and be one of those, you know, one of those guys yeah. on on that pairing, but 
obviously he's not ready. What last thing? What? Why don't you think the Daniel Carr experiment worked? I know it was just three games, yeah. but obviously they had, um, you know, they spoke very highly of him, and they they thought they had found something, and it just didn't translate. At least not to this point. Who knows? <clears throat> excuse me, if it ever will here. But why don't you think it worked? I, I'm still kind of trying to figure that out myself, just because. I know David said on the show um, a couple weeks ago or last week when it happened um, that you know he he didn't really get the opportunity to to play and when he did it wasn't you know he wasn't as consistent as they wanted him to be but he only played in two games I mean unless they're including the preseason in there as well you know Daniel Carr you know didn't jump off the page in any of the games that he played either in the preseason or during the regular season but. You know, he's that he's another example. We're talking about Carrier, for example. I mean, Daniel Carr is 27 years old. I mean, he was the AHL MVP last year, but you know, at this stage, you know, he hasn't been able to stick around in the NHL for more than you know 15, 20 games at a time. You know, this is may he may he be. You know, there are players, there are professional hockey players who are great AHL players who never turn out to be great NHL players. It doesn't always translate. You look at some of the MVPs. In the if you if you were to Google right now the AHL MVPs I think I wrote this in the story uh, during training camp it's less a who's who and more a who's that <laughs> like there's not you know the last NHL the last you're saying it didn't translate to this NHL career. right the last NH the last AHL MVP who immediately turned his AHL MVP season into a steady NHL job was Tyler Johnson who now okay. plays for the Tampa Bay Lightning. That was like six or seven years ago. I think it was during the lockout shortened season that he was the AHL MVP. Of course, the AHL didn't have a lockout in 12-13. So you look at some of the other players on that list. You know, Yeah, they get a couple games here and there, but they never translate their AHL success to NHL success. And that is something that happens a lot. Yeah. And so Daniel, that might just be who Daniel Carr is, which is unfortunate because I had, I, I had high hopes for him. It, that doesn't mean he can't come back at some point. But the fact he wasn't claimed either, you know, he might just be a really great AHL player, which is not bad for Milwaukee. But in terms of helping him here, it may not be written in the start. Adam, good to see you. Thanks for doing this as always. We'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thanks, Thanks. Adam. Adam Vingan, you can go find his work at The Athletic. He does a really good job, and I hope you are finding his work. Back to wrap up the first hour next. Appreciate Adam Vingan for stopping by Pete and Terry's Tavern and hanging out with us from The Athletic. EJ Raddick. NHL Network is coming up to kick off the second hour of the program. Silly underdog picks at high noon. Boy, do we have a development in that contest. And it is not anything good for us, but boy, do we have a development. So you have to be listening at noon. Don't forget you need to play along with us. You, the listeners, get three picks. You get to pick three games, and we have weekly winners. So it's never too late to jump in. To silly underdog picks presented by Volunteer Hose and Gasket. Also, today on the show, we've got a we got a good show for you lined up. Uh, silly underdogs at noon and Tim Hasselbeck coming up at eleven. Tim Hasselbeck, I was that's where I was, yesterday we had to move him because of his schedule, and he will join us at eleven thirty. So EJ Raddick to kick off the second hour, then Tim Hasselbeck at the bottom of the hour, and then our weekly with Elliot Freeman that will be coming up at 1 o'clock from Sportsnet. There was uh, looking at some of the Titans news yesterday. I saw where looks like Ryan Suckup is back in the mix of practicing. Yep. He is not eligible to play in this game, but will be eligible to come off 
IR for the next game. Yep. And so, uh, you know, you would think that would be a boost for them too because certainly kicking has been quite the issue. I mean, who didn't go, oh, my gosh, when Parkey. Parkey, like, never misses other than when he hits the – Yeah, when he doinks it. When he doinks it off the post. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like, he honestly, like, how many times he hits the post – I know. It's unreal. So, and, and I know people used to – my dad was one that would joke, like, shouldn't you get a point for that? I mean, because that's still impressive just to get the upright. It actually <laughs> is. Uh, the fan base of the team that he's on does not think it's impressive. No, no. Everybody else thinks it's impressive, but uh, maybe they get uh, a shot in the arm of good news with maybe getting Ryan Suckup back in the fold here very, very soon. Yesterday, Corey Davis, Adoree Jackson, Chris Milton, and Delaney Walker did not practice. Jayon Brown, Jarrell Casey, Jack Conklin, Nate Davis, Rashawn Evans, Sharif Finch, and Wesley Woodyard, who we talked to, were limited participants in practice. Wesley Woodyard, we had a really good conversation with him yesterday. If you did not hear it, uh, go back and listen to it. He's fantastic. Yeah. you good. And just as I was saying after the interview, that's somebody you want in the locker room. That's just that's a that's a glue guy. Call him the lumberjack, and he stepped in. You know, Jayon Brown obviously was getting a bulk of the minutes, but Wesley has stepped in and hadn't missed the beat. I think this is a tricky game. I know it yeah. sounds silly, but the reason that it sounds or the reason I have that feeling is because Tampa had a bye week. Their last game, their last memory of them being on a field was in London. And it was embarrassing. It was embarrassingly bad. And more times than not, when professional teams, professional athletes are embarrassed and they they turn on the radio or they turn on the computer and they read how bad they suck or (laughs) they hear how bad they suck, you know, it tends to motivate them. And you know that's all they've heard since that game in London where they were awful. I mean, what was it, seven turnovers? I mean, it was pathetic. Five picks by Winston. Yeah. I mean, and so you know they're going to be motivated. And you know Bruce Arians, as we had a discussion yesterday, went down to Tampa and talked to Jenna Lane, who covers them, that, you know, Bruce Arians has been – their coach has been telling them, like, you sucked and you need to, you know, got to pick things up. Things have to get better. And they have weapons. They have guys. So I I just think it is a tricky, tricky game because – Although the Chargers game was tricky, too, because it was two, two, two very desperate teams. And that's another thing. Tampa's in that desperate mode because they're, they're, looking, they're looking down the barrel of that two-and-four gun, just like the Chargers and Titans were last weekend. And nobody wants to start off the season heading to the midway point two-and-five. That is yeah. a hole that very few people dig themselves out of. I think what makes this game even more dangerous is you have two of the most inconsistent teams in the NFL. So it, it's it's hard to get a pulse on either one of them of exactly how they're going to be. And so I'm with you. I have the same concerns. And you mentioned the weapons, Chris Godwin uh, being one of those, Mike Evans. So they, they definitely have them. And you never know if you're going to get good Jameis. If you get good Jameis, then, then it, that's a problem. Then it can definitely be a problem, right? Yeah. If And he does. That's the thing. He's a little bit like, well, he doesn't have nicknames like Fitzpatrick. You know, right. it's either Fitzmagic or it's Pickpatrick. Jameis is really a lot of the same thing. It's like either you get re- – when it's good, it's really good. Yeah. And when it's bad, man, it is bad. And, you know, so they've been dealing with the same struggles down in that market 
as we've been dealing in this market of trying to figure out the team week to week, figure out which which Tampa team is going to show up, and it's really not been much different here trying to figure out which team is going to show up. Yeah, and the Titans have some injuries that concern me. Well, so. this is what everybody deals with sure. this time of year, so they, they're dealing with something that everybody else is dealing with as well. So we'll come back. That'll do it for hour number one. We'll come back. E.J. Raddick from NHL Network. You'll hear that conversation next here on ESPN 1025 The Game.